everyone, my name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. This is a podcast where we talk about fanfiction. Each episode, the three of us individually bring fics to talk about. Sometimes those fics are across the board of several different things, and sometimes they have a theme, much like in this episode. Nick, what's our theme? Our theme for this episode is, drumroll please, fic click hosts. <laughs> That's <was> good audio. <laughs> uh, it's major character death. Ooh. Oh wow! It's not a joke, everyone. We are actually going to be talking about major character death. I'm actually really excited for this episode, um, and I hope you all enjoy it. But before we get into that, yeah, let's uh, talk about which fix we are actually bringing. So, yes. Bren, what's your pick? Um, my pick for this week is "This Has Already Happened" by Molly Amory and Speranza. It's an MCU fic. Read what's your fic. My pick is "The Monsters Without" by Karukia. It's a Rooster Teeth Achievement Hunter fic, and it is a Left for Dead Zombies AU. And Nick, yes, my pick for this episode is called "The Wee Small Hours" by Chandri, and it is a Critical Role Campaign One fic. If you heard Major Character Death and you thought, hmm, maybe this isn't the episode for me, hold on! <laughs> Give us a chance to pitch it to you. Listen listen to our episode, man! Yeah! Um, hey, come on! <laughs> Bud! <laughs> hey, buddy! Hey, pal! Stick around! Give us a chance! <laughs> we think we have a lot of good things to say, um, and we want to maybe uh, make the tag seem a little bit less scary to you, but... Before we get into that, um, hey Nick, do you want to tell us why it is the theme for this episode? Because it's good. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no. Period. Well, it is good. It is good. It is good. But it is the theme because it's my birthday and I got to choose. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Yay! So this is what I picked with my with my once a year <laughs> theme decision. I actually really stand by it. Um, but yeah, we are recording this literally on my birthday, which is very fun. I'm older now than I was last time you heard my voice. <laughs> Yay. Passage of time. Hey Nick, why did you pick Major Character Death as your birthday theme? It's a good question, Brenna. Um, I imagine it's a question that a lot of our listeners probably also have. Um, I think that if you have like seen my fan presence in general, this is likely not surprising. Um, but if you have only ever interacted with me in the capacity of being a FitClick host, um, this might come a little bit out of left field. Um, I have a lot of reasons. One of the biggest ones, I think, is that a lot of the time when I'm, you know, fandoming, doing my thing, talking to some folks, uh, looking through some fan works, I do often look for stuff that is on the angstier side, that is sadder, that does deal with like darker, heavier themes than a lot of the people around me um, are like looking to engage with. But I think that major character death doesn't have to be like this sad tearjerker sob fest that's like whomp and everyone is like only devastated sometimes that's like the fic that people want to write and that's the thing that you see but a lot of the times i think there are so many layers to fics that deals with death 
Um, and I think like for me personally, um, I had a time in my life where like there was a lot of death, like in my family and in the people around me and like the people that I was close to. And it was something that was really challenging for me to like deal with and process. But as has happened with a lot of times, I processed through like reading and through writing. And I learned a lot about the fact that like grieving can look like healing and that grieving through some piece of media can be like a really beautiful and connecting thing. And so I think for me, that's a big reason why I sort of chose this. I know it's not like what most people turn to when they're looking for a pick me up, (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's how it operated for me at a time in my life where it like felt really needed. And I've carried that with me in the time since. So I wanted to share a little bit with our listeners and with the two of you as well, honestly, about like why I think this can be, uh, I hesitate to call it a trope, <laughs> um, a, a theme, a, a piece of fiction or I guess nonfiction, but like fiction that I think can be valuable and like good. Yeah, I know. I know the two of you before this episode, I guess, like started with different perspectives from me, though, and have like different thoughts on how you interact with major character death um, in fic. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about that, too, if you were willing to share. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> um, nice. I think I largely associate the tag, at least when I see the tag, especially like the it adds an archive warning mm. on a piece of fic. Um, very bold, very yeah. <laughs> As I sort of associate that warning with fic that sort of does the whole the plot is the death. So maybe someone's like dying of a terminal illness or there's some other tragedy that's like going on and that's very much the plot of the fic um and historically i mean i've read some that i thought were well written but i've never particularly enjoyed them um i remember like specifically reading one that was like very popular in sherlock fandom and at the time i really liked it i like wept through the whole thing but then afterwards i was like I don't think I really want to do that anymore. <laughs> um, so then I just sort of started like avoiding fix that looked like they would sort of take that route, mm. um, which led me to sort of thinking I hadn't read any major character death fic in like a long time. And then I realized like I have read fic that deals with it just in slightly different ways. Mm. I think more so fic that either deals with like canon character death or maybe ca- the death of characters sort of closely related to the main character but not necessarily the romantic interest so maybe not someone's like partner or boyfriend or interest in the fic but maybe like a parent or a family member or even like a close friend Mm. um and that's sort of like a theme throughout it but maybe not like the plot um and i think i can really enjoy how those are handled a lot more and a lot of those has felt a lot more poignant i think to me um but yeah i mean like i think thinking about like, where I experience major character death. Also, like, I mean, I can think of numerous, like, movies and television shows and books that I like that have it. Um, I think I just sort of avoid it in fic because I often do associate it with sort of that trope of, like, mm. terminal illness or something. Um, where I think, like, actually in other circumstances, I can really, really appreciate it and enjoy it. That mu- That one just, like, for me personally... We don't vibe. (laughs) That's not really what I'm looking for in my media. But I'm really excited about the one I have today. (laughs) And, like, I'm excited also to sort of, like, give more consideration to fix that might have that warning. 
but not be what I expect them to be. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, Bren. Um, I think when Nick first was like, I think this is the theme that I'm going to pick from my birthday <laughs> episode, um, my immediate reaction was like, oh God, have I read anything recently? <laughs> yeah. Major character death that I've enjoyed? Um, but sort of taking Bren's perspective of like, yeah, actually I've read a number of fics in which death and grieving in that way was very integral to the fic, but either it wasn't like the whole plot or it wasn't the romantic interest. There's that. Um, I also think that what I want out of fic has changed a lot as I've grown. Um, I used to be like the tag that I would always look for the most was like angst with a happy ending. And the happy ending for me was like really necessary. Um, I didn't need everything to be wrapped up like super pretty, but I always wanted it to be cheerful um, or at least like somewhat positive. Um, And within the past, like, two or so years maybe, I've come into appreciating a lot more fics that are a little more melancholy in their endings, like a little bit more somber. Um, And not that that has made me like gravitate towards major character death, because it hasn't per se, but I think I realized like when thinking about fics for this episode, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more open to the idea of reading major character death. Like it's not a tag that I would avoid the way that I would have, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. Um, And I think part of the reason that I, would not have looked into it before is a lot of similar things to what Brenna said. Um, I think that the type of emotional journey that I wanted Fick to bring me on, I don't think I was going to find it in major character death, or at least not maybe in the most popular fix for the fandoms I was in. Um, but I'm thinking now and I'm like, okay, apart from like the one that I brought today, what are some fix that I've read in the past with major character death? A lot of them are Marvel, uh, not MCU, but comics. They tend to be a little bit grittier and also, the ones that I've read are people kind of going, okay, in comics, there's kind of the role that, like, no one ever stays dead, but, like, that's garbage. So mm-hmm. what if we, what if we, like, fought against that a bit? And the ones that are coming to mind for the ones that I've liked the most are ones where, yeah, maybe there is a romance, but it isn't, like, there is so much else happening. It's it's a person mm-hmm. who has to go through so much in their life, and, like, the death of a friend or a partner is just one horrible part of it, but it isn't everything um yeah go ahead i just had a thought while you were talking (laughs) about sort of like what you what journey you want fic to take you on and i was thinking about how in a lot of cases i still kind of like fic that's angsty with a happy ending because i like when i'm going through some like rough shit i like my fiction to reassure me that like you can get out of it but i think like one of the things i really appreciate about fic where maybe not the whole plot is Um, major character death but like there is a character dealing with death and grieving is that it can feel more balanced I think where like the fic I sort of started to avoid I think felt like this is the end of someone's world when like Mm -hmm. their romantic partner dies like that's earth shattering Mm -hmm. that felt really overwhelming but I think in other fics I've read where a character is dealing more with like death and grieving on either like a different scale or just a different part of their life or maybe it is their romantic partner but that's not the whole plot of the fic um it feels a little bit more like real world and balanced and like okay like that can be huge and hard to deal with and like incredibly impactful but it doesn't have to be like the end of someone's world which i think is the fic that like sort of started to make me feel just like bad inside (laughs) well i think there's like angsty for the sake of being angsty and like um, you had mentioned this, um, Brenna, we were talking earlier about, like, 
feeling like the author just wants you to cry and will do like whatever it takes <laughs> to make that happen. Um, but I think also like there can be, for me at least, fic that centers on death and it might be like the death of a romantic partner. It might be the death of like someone really important, but the approach is not, this is the end of my whole world. The approach is I'm going through something really difficult and this is how I'm like dealing with it and processing and trying to move forward. And this is the support that I have or don't have. And this is how I like build my life into something new that isn't necessarily better or worse, but is going to have to look really different from how it looked before. Yeah. yeah. I think that's like a really good perspective to have on like what this theme can bring and can offer to a reader that I don't think is always the way that like we look at the tag in fandom. It's certainly <laughs> not the way I looked at it for like most of my years in yeah. fandom. Mm-hmm. I also really appreciated that the fix that we brought for this episode all um, like similar to how with Brenna's dream sharing episode, our fix embodied that trope in very different ways. I think that these fix tackle major character death very differently. Um, I think they're a really good representation of sort of what that theme can look like across a spectrum, which was nice because, you know, as I've said, it's not a tag that I normally go looking for. Um, and so it definitely was a little bit of an eye opener to me as to like, what can constitute as major character death and what can it look like um, when it isn't just angst to make you sad? Yeah, thank you both for coming into this space with me. I know it was different, (laughs) but I'm excited about the fix that we picked and the conversation we're going to have. All right. So the fic I want to discuss with y'all this week is This Has Already Happened by Molly Amory and Speranza. Um, This is a MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, fic. Um, All right, so this fic has two main pairings. It is both Steve Bucky and Tony Bruce. Um, They have about equal, like, screen time in this fic, but I would say... Steve Bucky is the more sort of central pairing as it does sort of impact the plot more. Um, In terms of content warnings, I mean, the big one is major character death. You already knew that, though. (laughs) Um, I guess I'd also say it sort of has like Marvel typical violence and stuff. It, It really like focuses sort of on the events of Endgame and the rest of MCU, which that being said... If you haven't seen Endgame and you don't want to be spoiled, if you haven't if already, you haven't been, already yeah, been, somehow, <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to get into the events of that movie a lot. Um, but honestly, at this point, you've probably seen it if you want to. Um, don't worry about it. Just, <laughs> just you know, move on with your life. Who needs it? <laughs> wow. Harsh. I know. <laughs> this is our podcast where we talk about fan fiction and also critique film. <laughs> hey, don't put it past me. I'll do it. Um, okay. So this fic took me on a bit of a wild ride the first time I read it. Um, I was intrigued by the tags because they were like... Oh, canonical AU. Also, Steve has a time machine. Also, everyone dies. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> Let's just give it a go. I was like, it's 7K. What's the worst that could happen? Um, uh. Kind of a lot, actually. <laughs> I like finished reading this and like immediately went to scream at Reed that like she had to read it right that second. <laughs> um, she didn't read it right that second and no. it was a deep betrayal, but... Then you dragged me into reading it <laughs> for this show. <laughs> exactly. Okay, 
Okay, so basically the premise of this fic is it's sort of a what-if exploration of the idea that Steve has a time machine. What if he went back in time and stopped Bucky from getting on the train in Austria? This fic like runs that out as an experiment, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does it from end to beginning. Mm-hmm. The very first scene that you get is actually set in 2388. So that's a while from now. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, in which basically there is ostensibly no more human life on Earth. And Jarvis is alone. Oh. Sad. It's sad. It's really sad. Um, I like read this. It's just like basically four paragraphs. And I was like, holy shit, this fic. <laughs> I already knew I was in it. Mm-hmm. Like that premise was something I had never even seen. Um, I think one of the things I really loved about this was just it wasn't anything I expected. There were definitely fics I wanted to read after watching Endgame. I didn't really go looking for them because I figured they'd be really hard to find. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know that this was a fic that I wanted until it was given to me. And then I was like, oh, fuck yeah. That's actually exactly what I wanted. Um, But it basically runs end to beginning, like I said. The first thing that you get is Jarvis alone in the remnants of Stark Tower with no more human life on Earth. Um, then it jumps to 2028, in which Thanos succeeds in killing humanity. Um, basically, it's a short scene in which he's facing off against Steve. Um, he defeats him, he kills him, and then he kills the rest of humanity. So, major character death, baby! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but... This fic doesn't really give you time to, like, dwell on that fact because it jumps you straight back to how did we get there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about, like, how this fic was formatted, about, like, sort of different influences I see in it. Um, but I wanted to know, like, what y'all's reactions were to it, especially on the first read. Mine was, like, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Wow, I I don't know what expression I was making as I was reading most of this, but it must have been like really wild. Um, I thought that it was hugely ambitious, which I love in fic. Um, one of the tags is I think like rocks fall, everybody dies, and then the next tag is but seriously, everybody dies. And I was like, whoa, we are just in this. Like I love when authors are not afraid to do the weird, difficult, challenging thing, um, even if it means that readers might be like, um, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Are you sure? Um, because this just executed so well. The back-to-front storytelling I thought was brilliant. It was super well done. Um, stories like this, when they operate non-chronologically, um, we talked about this a little bit with my pick in the dream-sharing episode, which is the last one, um, but I think... For me, stories like that operate so well on a reread, and I know this was a reread for both of you, so I'm curious to hear how that kind of worked out. Um, I did a little bit of, like, jumpy rereading once I got to the end, and I was like, oh my god, like, you realize what's happening at a certain point, like, toward the end of the fic, and you're just like, oh my god, 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 Uh, as you continue to kind of go back and realize, like, how the waterfall kind of pushed everything um, into being what it is. I just think, like... The choices were super interesting, and it felt so fanfiction-y, too, even though it was super 
like intense and unflinching because it also like there's such a care that's put into like what if this one thing was different which i feel like is such a thick premise right of like what if we tweaked this one thing how different would the whole rest of everything be it's just that this one thing that they tweaked was like really impactful (laughs) as it happens um so i i really love that i loved how much care was put into every step of the butterfly effect as they decided to play it out Oh god, this fic. <laughs> um, Brenna, I you know, I just deeply apologize for past me for not dropping everything in my life to read it the second you sent it to me. Um, that's okay, past read. I forgive you. Thank oh. you. What about present me? Do you forgive present me as well? <laughs> I don't have a grudge against present you. Oh, perfect. Oh. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, I found myself as I was reading um the first time, I was trying to like piece together what was happening um like brenna said that first scene is stark tower but stark tower is in boston and it mentions that it was built by ae carbonell and immediately my brain was like ae like anthony edward is in tony but i was like carbonell so then i googled it and i was like oh okay carbonell is marie stark's last name before you kept reading yes (laughs) i mean we are so different (laughs) we are so different i saw that and was like Whatever, that must be some rando architect. I don't know anything about Stark like, Tower. Oh, maybe this is like Tony's like great great grandchild or something. I was like, I don't I know. And then the next that. one, I was like, uh. well, so that's the thing is like, it's like I saw AE and I was like, well, I knew that was like to- the beginning of Tony's initials. So I was like, what is this? Wow. Um, but I also was like, oh, maybe it is just like a great grandchild or whatever. But my brain, because uh, dear listeners, dear ficklets, as you're probably aware at this point. I am a Marvel stan, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I'm very familiar with canon, and my brain was, like, desperately trying mm-hmm. to, like, put together, like, what was happening in the sense of, like, how far off of canon this was. And the more I kept reading, the more I was like, oh, oh, because it seems like not necessarily a small thing, because Brenna said, like, Steve goes back to tell Bucky not to get on the train. And you know that that's a significant event, but, like, when you realize exactly how much that impacts the like the spread that it has is so like i was i was like gasping the whole time i was reading it because i was like oh my god this is so smart like this is so true i never thought that like this one thing happening in 1945 would have such an impact all the way down um and on a reread it was really really fun because i feel like i put more together than i did the first time but yeah i don't know it was just it was so wonderful and and a lot of times i think I enjoy rereading fix, but like I know what's going to happen and maybe a few lines hit differently, but like this is one of the few fix where I think a reread has a completely different impact from the first time that I read it, which I thought was really, really enjoyable. Um it's so smart, it's so clever. The amount of thought that the authors had to do um to plan this all out is uh just amazing. I really like it. And I, you know, I wouldn't think that i would say wow i love this fic where every single character i care about dies but um i do because it was like masterfully done brutal to jarvis (laughs) well (laughs) really harsh read sorry my apologies to jarvis (laughs) um basically um bucky not getting on the train means bucky doesn't fall off the train means bucky doesn't become the winter soldier um that definitely has an impact on his storyline in this and his and Steve's storylines in this, but it also has a huge impact on Tony's storyline in this. Because if Bucky is never the Winter Soldier, then the Winter Soldier never kills Howard and Maria Stark. So Tony, like, 
has his parents through this fic. Um, and that like massively changes the outcome of his life in this. Because of the changes to Steve and Bucky's timeline and the fact that they're together, uh, Tony never becomes Iron Man. Bruce never becomes the Hulk. The Avengers are never the Avengers. Um, without Tony, they don't win the Battle of New York. And basically all together, this leads to Thanos winning. Yikes. Um, yikes. <laughs> One of the things I found so clever about this fic, though, and I think it's kind of goes off something Nick said earlier about this feeling really fan fiction-y, mm-hmm. is... It does sort of have that atmosphere of like a sort of a late night discussion with your friends where you're like, what if? Uh But I think it's also sort of cleverly uses built in Marvel canon in a way, because the actual summary for this references like Doctor Strange's ability to see multiple timelines and see how things work out. And basically this fic acts as one timeline running itself out, like one possibility of how something occurs. And I think that that's such a nice way to sort of present it. Um, And just like an interesting way to sort of open up MCU canon even further, because we know that there are all these sort of like potentialities, depending on like one choice made in one moment. Um, well, Doctor Strange said there were 14 million um, versions where they didn't win. Mm-hmm. So I am now expecting fic authors to give me 14 million <laughs> alternate can- canonical timelines to end game. after this one, actually. Yeah, exactly. I did want to say, you saying that makes me think, like, <laughs> I now am picturing that scene in Endgame, spoilers, um, <laughs> where he's like, looking through all of the possibilities, mm-hmm. right? That's a scene. Mm-hmm. As him just, like, downloading AO3 fix into his brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. When his head is, like, rapidly yeah, moving. Yeah. He's just reading. <laughs> and, like, also, like, tapping into, like, people's, like, conversations. Yeah. Like, me and Reed sitting eating yes. ice cream after we watched, like, Endgame for the second time, desperately trying to unravel, like, the potential timeline. <laughs> Um, well, that's yeah, canon now. Like, I think we know that in MCU, any choice can like make drastic changes. We never really saw those choices play out because we only saw one timeline. Um, but I think this is really, I think it's just super fun to like explore that. Um, and like, this is kind of a brutal way to do it. And I also love that. Like, yeah. it does not pull its punches. It's like, this is what I think actually would happen if this choice was made. But the initial choice is such a like, good hearted choice. Like, Steve Head has no idea that this is what's going to happen. He just thinks that maybe things would be better if Bucky was with him. Mm-hmm. I did also want to talk a little bit about the summary, actually. Um... I I think I've talked a little bit in the past, I can't remember, this might be the first time, about Paratext, um, which is in sort of like fandom and like literature studies, the all of the text that goes with a piece of writing that is not the physical text of the writing. So anything that's not the fic, so that includes the tags, the title, the notes, um, even some of the meta stats that we get from AO3, all of that would be considered paratext that affects the way that we actually see the fic. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this summary, because I love summaries, um, and often read them without the tags. <laughs> I don't know what I'm getting into, it's great. Um, but the summary of this fic was super interesting to me, because I feel like a lot of times with fic like this that is so ambitious and like 
so much of its premise. Like, you can't really explain without either giving it away or just writing way too much. So they pulled this quote um, from Thanos's point of view, where he refers to Doctor Strange as the wizard, which I love. <laughs> uh, it's really a hit. Um, and it reads, there are absolutely no circumstances in which I give the time stone to you, the wizard gasps. None. Nada. Zip. Choke on that, you son of a bitch. And that's the whole summary. And, like, I think that's brilliant, honestly. Like, it gives you such an idea of what this fic could be about if you've seen Endgame, if you have an understanding. Like, uh oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there are circumstances in which other things happen, though. <laughs> um, and I, I just think it's so clever. Like, it's, I think, as someone who writes a lot of fic, it can be really hard to pinpoint what exactly you want to give the reader before they enter your fic. Like some authors do it super differently. Some give an actual summary, <laughs> um, but many, and I would argue that maybe most authors do not give a full summary of the fic. They either give um, like this one, a piece of the text that kind of piques your interest, or they give a very vague, maybe like two short sentences, you know, like Steve makes a choice. Mm-hmm. The world feels the consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, that could have been the summary of this thing. Coming summer. 2019. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, that's like very dramatic and trying to get you like to take a little peek at the fic. But I just really like this, and I feel like it's kind of confident. Yeah, <laughs> which I love. Like that is the kind of thing that makes me think, oh, this author or these authors like know what they're doing. I think this whole fic is very confident. Yeah, it like really asserts itself. And like I said, it doesn't really pull its punches, but like, it also doesn't try and overcompensate, I think. It's just very like, here we go. So this fic, like, presumably, if there was going to be a main character, um, it would be Steve. However, y'all know me. Hello, welcome to Reed Loves Tony Stark (laughs) Corner. What? Um, I just, I wanted to just bring up one of the, um, like, one of the ways, obviously, immediately on you realize that things are different, but I think... Upon my first read, one of the first things that really had me, like, gasping when I was starting to realize exactly how big these consequences were um, is in 2012, in the Battle of New York, um, as you've kind of already said, Bren, um, Manhattan gets hit with a nuke. And the reason that that happens is because in the Avengers movie, Tony takes the missile and he, like, flies it through the portal. So he stops the alien invasion, but he saves New York. Um, And as you've said, in this reality, there is no Iron Man. Um, and there's a line that, as Bucky and Steve are watching Manhattan explode, um, where it goes, panic, nausea, rises up to choke him. And then Bucky's hand drops on his shoulder, reassuring and warm. There wasn't anything you could have done, pal, Bucky mutters softly. There wasn't anything anyone could have done here. And Christ, Steve can only hope that that's true. And I was like, <gasps> oh, but there was someone in a different reality. Um, and it just had me like screaming because of how smart it was because at that time I was like wait but but where is Tony like why why wouldn't Tony have been there and then you go back and back and back and back and you realize oh because when Howard Stark was supposed to die he didn't and it's just like this one little thing that just I don't know for me I, I like I said I think that was the first time where I really was starting to realize the scope of um exactly how many things could change from one choice And I just think it's really interesting that the fic chose to start us where it did. Like, I think it's interesting that this is the snapshot that it gives us as the final ending point is like Steve going back Mm -hmm. to this moment with this Bucky. And like upon a first reread, that's what you get as like a reader is you're like, okay, this is it. Like, this is where the butterfly effect all 
like starts mm-hmm. from. Can I talk about Hamlet? <laughs> of course you can sure. talk about Hamlet. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> um, it's not actually about Hamlet so much as it is about the archetype of the tragedy and the tragic hero, because that's like 100% Steve in this fic. I literally was just thinking about this as you were talking, Reed, about like, wow, that he makes this choice and the goal is to be happy, right? But there's all of this this drama and the sacrifice that comes even just with the endgame story of Thanos killing off half the population and of Steve feeling like he needs to be the one to fix it, of Steve being determined to build a time machine and trying to make the choice that is going to save everybody and like tragic heroes have like their downfall right there's like the tragic flaw whatever and i think i've never read a story in which the tragic flaw is necessarily caring too much but that's almost what it feels like (laughs) in this story where it's like iron iron man there's a thing in iron man where he's he like saves everyone when he's told he can't right that's a thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I love iron man um (laughs) stony till i die stony till i die um no that's a thing right where the the calculations like you only save this many people and he ends up saving all of them yeah like that's very much what it felt like steve was trying to do in this fic of maybe he didn't exactly know all of the stakes but he decided that he wanted to save everyone and in doing so saved no one except for Jarvis uh we love you Jarvis (laughs) but yeah there's just something so inherently almost Shakespearean Mm -hmm. about the way that his arc plays out that I really like about this fic that I'm only realizing as we've been talking about it yeah I'm having kind of like a lot of realizations actually (laughs) as we're talking about it um Yeah, I think the last thing I sort of wanted to talk about with this fic is sort of to circle back to the discussion we had earlier in this pod about, um, like, what major character death fic kind of is and what it can offer to its readers and perhaps also to its authors in writing it. Um, And we sort of talked about, like, catharsis and grief and working through tragedy and all of these things. This fic doesn't really dwell on the tragedy that much it sort of leaves it up to the reader to come back to it in their own head i think um but there were a couple things i sort of wanted to talk about one was like i don't always read through all of the comments on fic sometimes i will because there's a handful and it's fun um but i was really like digging through the comments on this one because i really wanted to see how other people reacted to it um and There was something that Speranza, one of the authors of this fic, said in response to a comment that I thought was just very fitting. Um, Basically, the commenter had mentioned, like, going through a loss in their own family. And Speranza wrote back, like, to get really real back at you, you know, I feel you. And I know Molly does, too. As a middle-aged person now dealing with a lot of deaths, everyone dies seems less of a threat and more a kind of basic reality. It's all about where you stop and start the story. Um, and I think, like, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, and then they go on to say, like, I think we all do our best and hope for the best. And that's where, for me, in this story, this tragedy is actually sort of Steve, who wants to do his best all the time. And that's, like, exactly what Nick was just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think Speranza sort of, like, nails that. (laughs) Um, but I think this fic also, like, executes that sort of idea of, like, how loss is presented in the story format really well because it ends with sort of the most 
like romantic heartbreaking moment mm-hmm. and it's romantic and heartbreaking because you already know how it plays out um in which steve actually tells bucky in the past don't get on the train but it's like very moving yeah. like in this moment it's the very last thing we see of them and i think there's such a beautiful like contrast between this end moment that's so intensely human and so intensely like people caring about each other with the very first moment you get that is an absolute lack of humanity. A number of people in the comments mentioned that this fic reminded them of Ray Bradbury's short stories, and in particular a few people mentioned um, There Will Come Soft Rains, which is something that I also definitely thought of in the first moment with Jarvis. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, in that short story, it's presented from the point of like a futuristic sentient house. That's the only thing left after a nuclear disaster. Yeah. Um, and that's basically that what's happening sense. with Jarvis. But I think that there's something really profound in showing us sort of a picture of humanity through something that's not human, but created by humans. And I think it's such a lovely note to sort of end and begin with Jarvis in this way alone and I think, like, to bookend this fic with those sort of, like, intensely human, complete lack of human really, like, brings the whole picture together. And I think it really, like, ha- like makes you feel that sense of loss that isn't actually directly written into the fic, but it's sort of left to you to experience, like, on your own, almost. And I just found that really, really interesting that we talk about sort of major character death as, like, a way for an author and it and the readers to like process something but this fic doesn't offer you the processing no. <laughs> um but yeah i think that's one of the reasons i really really liked it is that like it has very much that like short story feel mm-hmm. and i found it very like concise and practical in its application what you're saying reminds me of a tumblr post that i read <laughs> a very long time ago that's one of my favorites i don't have it on me right now or the exact wording but it was a little bit about robots and um, I think a lot of science fiction, we could talk about robots and science fiction forever, but I do think a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We won't. But I think a lot of science fiction does portray robots as like cold and unfeeling and terrifying mm-hmm. and like they'll betray humanity and kill us all. Um, the Tumblr post essentially said like, actually, it's really, really amazing that we're able to create this like approximation of life that is some representation of the way that we see ourselves um, and the last lines of the post said something like, I think it's amazing that maybe in the future someday when humanity's gone, like some other life will come here and meet these robots who will be able to say like humanity was here and like lived and laughed and hurt and loved and like died, but it was beautiful while it was there. And that like there is some extension of our lives through, I guess, artificial life technically. Oh, Nick, that made me very tender. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I like that a lot. Yeah. I you know, I can talk post. for like I know. a jillion years about AI. <laughs> I'll, I'll find the post. I'll find the post and I'll, I'll tweet it out on the ThickClick Twitter. But yeah, I think like, I think like for me, like science fiction is my favorite genre. And I think the reason it's my favorite is because it is equipped in a way that I find no other genre to be to ask questions about what humanity is at its core, to present our, like us with these things that we've made that are ourselves but slightly different, and to ask like what makes us us, what makes them them, mm-hmm. and like is it good, is it bad, what do we feel from it? Um, I think this fic does that really well. Um, yeah, so that's that's this has already happened by Molly Amory and Speranza. 
Um, like we said, it's a MCU, basically canon divergent AU. Um, it's a wild ride. I found it very profound, and I think the more I thought it over, the more profound I found it to be. <laughs> So my pick for this episode is, um, as I said before, The Monsters Without by Karukia. It's Rooster Teeth Achievement Hunter. It is um, Gavin Free, Ryan Haywood. Um, as it is a zombie AU and also part of the theme of this episode, um, the content warnings <laughs> for this fic are, surprise, major character death. Um, also, pretty much um, all of the tags on the fic are the content warnings I would give, and those are graphic depictions of violence, um, PTSD. I would also say anxiety is pretty prevalent here. Um, just kind of the things you would expect out of a zombie AU. Zombies. Zombies. Zombies are there, yeah. Zombies are there, and also, again, violence in dealing with zombies and things like that. Um, pacifist zombies. Pacifist zombies only. They just give you high fives. <laughs> and then you have to go high five other people. That's just like a big they're game like, attack. They're like staging yeah. a protest, but it's peaceful. Mm. Uh-huh. It's like, it's a, they're staging a sit, sit in. So those are the content warnings for the fic. Um, it follows Gavin and Ryan's journey pretty much from right as the um, breakout of this infection happens and people are starting to figure out what's going on. Um, and it follows them trying to survive. Uh, they start with a large group of friends, all leaving Austin. And that group slowly, for various reasons, gets whittled down to just the two of them. Um, there's, obviously, there's death and there's a lot of hardship. But ultimately, it ends happy and with a lot of healing. Which is something that I, uh, I really appreciate. Um, it is, as I said, for the most part, just... At least for what for them, it feels like it is two of them against this giant, unstoppable foe of the zombies. And just this constant fear and always moving to the next thing. Like, hoping that they'll find something better on the other side, but, like, not really sure. Um, so it's, like, it's a little grim, but, you know, they hold on to hope and they hold on to each other. And they make it through in the end. When Nick first suggested the major character death tag, this is one of the fix that I... Um, immediately thought about. I did look around and I read some others, but I kind of kept coming back to this one because it is one of the few fics that I read earlier on in my fandom days that I remember having major character death and I remember having a very strong impact on me. And I was really happy to find upon a reread that even though maybe like the sad parts weren't as devastating because I sort of knew it was going to happen, this fic did still uh, really resonate with me. Um, I found a lot to love about it and it was nice to sort of return to something um, that I'd read a number of years ago and still find that it stood up pretty well. Um, but yeah, before I really get deep into the fic and the things that I liked about it, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, I really enjoyed this. It's been a hot sack since I read a zombie fic. That's like not something I usually like click on at all. Not even because I don't like them. I just don't read them. Where are they? I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> they're, they're... Maybe not in my fandoms. Maybe. I don't know. Oh. Um, but it's fun. It like gave me some genuine anxiety in a few moments, um, which is like the mood for zombies, I think. Um, I always, like with any sort of apocalyptic fic, I always get, especially like a survivalist one, I'm always like very in the headspace of like, what would I be doing? <laughs> uh, like how would I have reacted? 
Um, I enjoyed some of the practicalities written into this. Uh, there were also like kind of poignant emotional moments. Um, I think we can talk about it in a little bit, maybe um, the safe houses they find. Mm-hmm. I think that was definitely one of my favorite aspects of it. Um, I am not super familiar with this fandom. I do know who the two... I, I, okay, I know who these people are. Are there faces present in my brain? Yeah. Two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of those is in the pairing. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like there's a, le- there's a level for me where I'm like, I'm reading a story, but mm. I don't necessarily have the emotional attachment to like the characters, but I still found it very compelling. Um, I thought it was well written. Um, I liked the like p- pacing of it. I thought that was really well done. Um, I thought this fic had some really interesting things to say about sort of like isolation, especially as it starts with so many people they love around them and ends with like no one around. Well, not ends ends, but like endures a period (laughs) with no one around them, like not even people that they just don't know. There's just no one, um, which I thought was really interesting. And I also sort of want to get a little bit into sort of like portrayals of monstrosity and queerness. So yeah. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> um, I thought it gave me a lot to think about, though. So even though it's not a fandom that I'm, like, super well acquainted with, I enjoyed this fic and definitely, like, have some things I think are going to be fun to talk about with it. Sick. No pun intended. <laughs> Sick, but, like, hopefully not infected. Huh? <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> so I read this fic for the first time uh, maybe two years ago, I want to say. Maybe two and a half years ago now. Um it was one of the fics for this fandom that I remembered the most vividly after I had mostly kind of transitioned out of it. It really stuck with me. Um, like I said with the last fic, like it feels very ambitious and it feels very much like it's willing to kind of take risks and lean into, especially in this case, lean into its genre um, and really acknowledge that in most stories that have to do with zombies, like not everybody actually makes it out alive. Um, and that in a story like this, actually it's better to be dead, dead than undead. And I have thoughts about that later, probably when Brenna talks about queerness and monstrosity. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, please anticipate it, Ficklets. Um, for now, I also wanted to say this is technically a Left for Dead AU. Left for Dead is a zombie like video game. Um, so one thing I found really interesting about this fandom while I was in it is um, this fic in particular has its characters are um, people who make up the talent roles for Achievement Hunter, which is in very basic terms, a channel on like YouTube that does let's plays of games. They play video games and like have commentary, blah blah whatever. Um, so <laughs> it's great. You don't um, care about that right now, though. Yeah, we don't have time. <laughs> Got to move on. Um, a lot of fic in this fandom is actually specifically video game AU's for that reason, just because the fandom is so kind of intertwined with that world, which I really liked. I thought it was cool. Um, I have not played Left 4 Dead. I likely never will. I don't have any plans to. Um, and I haven't, like, watched a full walkthrough of it, though I'm familiar with other games in the same genre. Um, and I just really liked that it hit so many of the points of what makes a post-apocalyptic AU apocalyptic without feeling like I knew every single thing that was going to happen or, like... Because there's points, right, when you know what's happening. Jeff starts coughing and you're like, ooh, he's fucked. (laughs) Game over, baby. (laughs) 
like no way um I, I was sadder than that when it first happened i wasn't laughing at him but like there are definitely points where knowledge of the genre means that you know what's happening before the character does in a lot of ways but at the same time like you said with the safe houses and with the ending and with the way that it starts to navigate some of the very specific pieces of what each moment might look like in a situation like this it felt fresh in that way for me and i really appreciated that so i liked it i think it's a good fic read wow i'm so glad (laughs) um i do want to get into, as you sort of alluded to, um, Jeff with the coughing. Mm. I wanted to jump right into the major character death of this fic. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, So as I sort of said before, this fic begins right as news reports are happening about this infection breaking out on the East Coast. Um, And Achievement Hunter, in real life, their office is based in Austin. It starts with a group of eight people um, leaving the Austin office, um, hoping to go west and from there half of the group is planning to try to make their way to australia and half of the group is going to go to england um which is where gavin who's one of the main characters uh gavin is from there um and as nick says pretty early on i think they're like maybe a day or two into their trek um a an infected a zombie attacks gavin doesn't break skin or anything but they have to sort of wrestle it off him and shortly after that jeff starts coughing um and you're like oh well i think i know where this is going mm-hmm. um but gavin because this this fic is from gavin's point of view um gavin is sort of like well jeff is like leading us and so he's not sleeping well and the nights are really cold and this is like such a toll on him like he's just getting sick and you kind of have the sense that like gavin knows what's happening he just doesn't really want to admit it um but it just it kind of keeps going on the group does split um and so it's uh, Gavin and Ryan, and then Jeff and Griffin. And Jeff and Griffin are married, and they, um, in both of this fic and also in real life, uh, <laughs> took care of Gavin for a while. When Gavin first moved to the U.S. Um, from the U.K., he lived with them for a very long time. And so in this fic, like, they are very much like his parents. And especially after this infection breaks out, and when there's such an emphasis on, like, friends becoming family, they really are, like, guiding him and leading him. And um, as a reader... You, it's not unexpected, you know, when it gets to the point where you're like, Jeff and Griffin are both infected and like they're both going to turn. Um, but that didn't make it any less devastating. They're sort of, they're walking and Jeff collapse and collapses and Griffin's like, oh God, I thought we'd have more time. And they're sitting by this like copse of trees and Griffin's like, Gavin, you have to kill us because w- like Jeff does not want to be an infected. You know that we don't want to be another one of these things. Like, we love you so much, and we're so proud of you, and you have to do this for us now. And it is, oh god, devastating. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be less sad the second time that I read this fic, <laughs> and then it wasn't. Um, and, you know, that's like, it's obviously like a really, really tough scene. But they don't really leave. Jeff and Griffin, like, specters of them kind of continue to haunt mm-hmm. Gavin. Um and without me like completely going on a monologue, that is something I want to get into is sort of even after their death, how present they are with Gavin um, is something that I thought was really fascinating about this fic. Yeah, it definitely hurt on take two as well. Um, I do think there's something really interesting to be said about the way that death kind of functions in zombie fics because there is this situation in which there are these like walking corpses everywhere 
and they become extremely depersonalized to the main character because that really is the only way to cope. And then the worst thing that could possibly happen is like looking into the face of one of these animated corpses, essentially, and seeing someone that you know. And that like really makes it hit especially hard in the situation, right, where Jeff and Griffin are saying you have to just end us so that that doesn't happen to you or to us. Um, it also gets a little bit into choice and autonomy and um, all that good stuff, you know, ethics, morals, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> um, I did particularly think that it was it's, – it's a scene that I've definitely read before in other zombie fics with the love interest, with the parent, with the best friend, with the sibling. Um, and I think it really hits every single time because it is so much about that specific personal relationship and what it would mean for it to become so warped and twisted and horrible like, it's worth it to sever it and cauterize the wounds so that it doesn't become something worse. Not to be, like, almost contradictory. Okay. But I think because I don't know these characters, I didn't have an emotional reaction, really, to the moment in which mm-hmm. Gavin kills them. Not to say I didn't have, like, any emotions or that I didn't think it was well written, but just that, like, I wasn't, I didn't have the attachment. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. Like, I also thought it was sort of, like, a nice little extra, like, blow to the reader, almost, that Gavin does it with a knife, like, up close and very personal, like, blood on his hands, and not just with a gun, which is what they've been using to kill most of the infected they come across, um, because it's the most efficient way, and you don't have to do it at close distances. Um, But I sort of forgot that he even had a knife, so I was sort of, like, expecting him (laughs) to shoot them. And then when he just stabs Griffin, I was like, oh, we're, like, going in, baby. And I felt like that was one of those moments that's, like, yeah, the author's doing it a little bit to just sort of, like, extra gut the readers. Uh But I also thought it was effective. I didn't, I thought, like, because there wasn't, this, like, was that climactic moment. Like, it was earned, I thought. Um... I think the moment for me, though, that was actually the most sort of, like, sentimental um, regarding the death that actually, like, made me feel the most things is later on when um, Ryan, who, like, he's still with, like, gets attacked by this monster, basically. I didn't really know what it was. I assume it's something from the video game. Um, Probably. I also but, assumed uh, I hadn't I played know. it. So. Well, um, it's, like, definitely some sort of infected, but it doesn't seem human. Um, or humanoid, I guess. Um, but Ryan gets attacked, and Gavin's, like, desperately worried about him. And he's, like, Ryan's, like, basically passed out on the ground. And... Gavin sort of, like, envisions Jeff and Griffin, like, hovering over Ryan, like, taking him. And he, like, freaks out about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Like, that yeah. made me feel some shit. Um, I really liked that. I thought it was, like, very clever and, and sort of, like, Gavin's been having this sort of, like, vision of Jeff and Griffin in these sort of, like, infected, zombified forms traveling along yeah. with them. And this is the moment where you're really like, oh, shit. Like, they're not just with him as sort of, like, a haunting of what he's done. They're also there as a haunting of, like, what is still potentially to come that could be just as devastating. And something um, on that, too, uh, spoilers for the very end of the fic, um, but they do make it out okay. Uh, Gavin and Ryan do make it to England where it is safe, where there's no infected. Um, and a cure is developed and all these things. And so they're 
a little ways into the future and they're settled. Um, both of them get therapists, which I was really yes. happy about. I thought that was a great note. But the fic mentions that after a number of months of like being settled, um, Gavin wakes up and sort of has like a breakdown of guilt because it's the first night that he hasn't dreamed that Jeff and Griffin are there. And you realize that like even after he makes it to safety and like even after all of these things are like peaceful and okay, like he's still been carrying them. And it isn't like, oh, a relief that like I'm no longer being haunted by these horrible visions. It's immense guilt and sadness. And he's like panicking and he's like, Ryan, they're not there anymore. Which is also so gutting. Yeah, I, A, I do absolutely love that they have therapists. I think that's excellent. I love it when Fick kind of nods to that. Um, and B, like, I like what you were saying about him carrying them with him. And what we were talking about, about not it's not just what he's done, but what he might still do. Because I think because this Fick is set in, like, technically canon divergence, I guess. Like, they still start out as Achievement Hunter employees. Um <laughs> It does, like, it does so much to show Gavin his own capacity for violence, and that in and of itself is an incredibly terrifying thing. So when we get to the end of the fic and things are settled, there is still this part of him that, like, he can't unlearn that is, it's just difficult for me to emotionally handle as a reader, um, and I guess also for Gavin to emotionally handle, (laughs) Um, and I thought that wrapping it with like the road trip was a very tidy way of giving them like external closure as they try and seek internal closure too. And the road trip that Nick mentioned is that um, by this point, um, because everyone's been cured and the infection is gone, America is sort of rebuilding. Um, And so their therapists recommend to Gavin and Ryan that they go back to the U S and sort of like retrace their steps. And so they do, they fly into new Philadelphia and they rent a car and they drive their trek from Austin to LA um, and LA is where they got a ship out um, to England to safety, um, which also the whole thing about the road trip, there's a lot of really good things in there as well um, that I'll probably get into later. I wanted to talk a little bit about isolation in this fic uh, because Gavin and Ryan end up very much alone. Um, They lose all their friends, but also they don't really see any other like, survivors for most of this fic. Um, So we learn early on this uh, disease, this infection is, like, spreads really, really fast. Um, It spreads so fast that the U.S. military has bombed entire cities to keep it from spreading, Um, which didn't work. Ha ha! Ooh, yikes! Okay. Um, But basically, by the time they're even beginning to evacuate, a huge number of the population have already been turned. And then as they sort of lose their friends first as they sort of break in half as a party and the other half goes off and they don't know what's happened to them. Um, and then as they lose uh, Jeff and Griffin, um, they become alone and they do not encounter other survivors until they make it to LA and like into basically a US military base at LAX. Um, but they do encounter these couple safe houses where basically someone has set up like a shelter that still has like food and water and first aid and weapons, um, which is a very like video game mechanic, I guess. But I thought it was really effective in this fic because it's sort of the only glimpse we get at like potential other survivors 
But I like that there was no one actually there for them to talk to. It's just all the stuff that was left behind. And I think that it worked really well in both making them sort of feel less alone in that now we have an idea that there are other survivors. It isn't actually just the two of them alone amongst an entire like country of infected but at the same time there isn't anyone actually there there's just sort of these like leftover artifacts which makes it sort of feel like everyone's already gone um and like what's already left behind is the only things they have and i just thought it worked really well in like the sort of less alone but more isolated um that i thought was really poignant and really made the whole sort of like zombie AU thing work well for me and the sort of like almost like fucked up road tripness of it throughout the whole fic not just their end road trip but their whole original journey from Austin to LA um like made the sort of emotional impact of it work really well because I think that's like a question I had sort of going into it or like as I read was like are there other survivors and I thought this was a really clever way of handling that question the scenes in the safe houses are absolutely some of my favorite scenes especially the first when they come across um it's funny because i i fully like get what you're saying and i agree about the isolation but for me part of what makes it so poignant is how it connected them to like greater humanity um and also just sort of like yeah the grounding like the the reminder that it isn't just the two of them um one of my absolute favorite parts is the first time they come across one of the safe houses, Gavin is um, sort of looking because the walls are full of writing. And uh, part of it goes, CEDA evacuating out of Tucson, one reads, but it's crossed out viciously and underneath is scrawled. It came from there. Do not go there. Some are notes from one survivor to another. Someone tells Kylie they're heading north. A note signed by Josh apologizes for leaving someone and hopes that when they meet up again, they'll be forgiven. I just... I loved it so much because not only does it pull, like, Gavin and Ryan a little bit away from themselves, but it's, like, there are all of these other people out there and, like, trying to help one another. The fact that the safe house exists. Um, but also just, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was such, like, a lovely, poignant moment um, and a really good way to sort of not make the fic just completely Gavin and Ryan trudging mm-hmm. through by themselves, yeah. zombies everywhere. It There's was like, so much dust. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was a nice reprieve from it, I thought. What I kind of found interesting about it, and I guess what I meant about the isolation is like, I guess for me, there's sort of this sense of upon them discovering this, it's sort of similar to just discovering something of like a long ago civilization. Mm-hmm. Like you knew these people were there, but they're not actually there right now. Yeah. Um, and I think that was what worked really well for me about like the connection to humanity, but the isolation in the moment. Yeah, fully agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and with the notes that they are leaving on the walls and all over the place in these safe houses, I really do think, for me, it felt almost epistolary of this this whole conversation this fic is having in these small moments about the ways in which we communicate over time. Um, I just really liked that and the way that meaning can change depending on who's reading it and when. Um, and how we are seeing this one sliver of Gavin and Ryan's story, but the safe houses do make it feel like their story is not the only one that's happening or that could be told about this specific epidemic and this specific AU. Which I guess makes sense because it's an AU of a video <laughs> game. There's at least one other story. <laughs> 
so one other thing I kind of wanted to talk about, and honestly, I didn't give myself enough time really to like <laughs> fully pull my sources together and mull it over and present it exactly in the way I wanted to. So forgive me if it doesn't come out perfectly. Um, it's something I'd actually honestly love to get back to at some point. Uh, but for now, I'll go with what I have in my brain. <laughs> um, but basically, I was thinking about how there's sort of a conversation that I've seen a little bit in, like, a couple classes I took in college um, in, like, queer theory and cultural studies about, like, zombies and monstrosity and queerness. Um, and I feel like it's usually coming from a place where depictions of either sort of, like, monstrous people um, or, like, zombies, something that has, like, this terrible illness, this infection are presented as sort of like queer for whatever like meaning of that word and by that i don't mean necessarily mean that it's like like literally like all the zombies are gay <laughs> yeah exactly like it's not necessarily as much of like an explicit sexuality thing as more of sort of an implicit um anti-heteronormative or like sort of the othering of it against a sort of pristine something that is like the survivor mm -hmm. um and something i was sort of thinking about in this fic is like what happens then when like your very human survivor protagonists are the ones that are the representation of queerness against the like infection against the monstrosity um and i just thought that was like an interesting question to sort of ponder and one i hadn't really thought about before and i i wanted to like go digging and see what people had said about things like that but i didn't really have time mm -hmm. um so i guess sort of what one thing i was thinking about is like how like what i've read before sort of poses like the infected as like the other against sort of the pure and i think even in this fic in which queerness is not the other there is sort of like a purity that gavin and ryan need to have in order to make it out like like your protagonist is not allowed to escape the situation unless they are sort of like worthy of doing so and part of that is literally just like can they survive like mm -hmm. are they smart enough are they strong enough do they have the like constitution <laughs> um part of it is also like do we believe in them are they good of heart like are they is their story worth telling basically and i thought it was sort of interesting to look at how they were sort of purified not necessarily in a heteronormative way but still in this sort of like construct where they had to be deserving of this ending yeah i agree <laughs> <laughs> um i think for me as i was reading this fic i was thinking about um uh, well, I was gonna, I'm just going to keep talking about classes I took in college this episode. Um, um, I did take a class um, in which we discussed a lot of literature around the state between life and death and what different states can look like in between those two kind of extreme poles. Um, so we talked about ghosts and we talked about like holograms and artificial intelligence. And we also talked a lot about zombies. So um, I read this fic and I intake a lot of I take in a lot of zombie <laughs> literature um with this lens that I kind of studied in that class specifically however many years ago now um where we looked at Colson Whitehead's Zone 1 um which is uh it's it's a zombie book um a lot of it is pretty standard honestly um I enjoyed it a lot I think Colson Whitehead is a brilliant writer but I do think 
in the context of this story, like there is a lot to be said about like who who gets to make it out and why. Um, in Zone One, it doesn't fall all along the specific lines of um, heteronormative white kind of like patriarchal expectations and norms partially because the protagonist of zone one is black and that informs a lot of the way the story is told even though um the protagonist race is not revealed to you until like the last 30 pages i think of the book um but it reminded me a little bit of this fic in the sense that like yeah our protagonists are gay um they do hold some marginalized identity that pushes back against the norm and i think that does allow um stories to break some of the rules i don't know that this fic pushes that very far um, they do still like cling to each other and like their love is like the good and pure thing I think that we are meant to believe is mm-hmm. is good enough to get them out. Um, that they love each other enough, that they are willing to protect each other enough and that's what gets them out. It's not their own individual kind of independent sense of survivalism so much as what they can do for each other and how that relationship is portrayed to us. Um, I guess like getting a little bit now into into meta but a lot of fic does feel like that a little bit it doesn't have to be about zombies and survivalism because so much of it is proving like the author trying to prove so much that this relationship that they are painting is worth reading and worth mm-hmm. following and worth supporting especially when you start getting the ship wars and stuff that's a whole other situation <laughs> i'm just saying um but yeah it just had me thinking about like the the kinds of people that they get to be or don't get to be in a story like this and how that might look different a lot of the fic that we've looked at where the protagonists like on this pod where they get to be like mean to each other and like not nice um the stakes are not very life or death in those fix necessarily Mm -hmm. they get they have a lot of room to make mistakes and be messy because hey if they're like kind of awful for a bit the fic gives them a lot of room the narrative gives them a lot of room to grow back from that and kind of win the reader back where in this case it's hard to root for someone in the zombie apocalypse when they're like kind of a dick (laughs) but also like if they fuck up they die correct like like, there's both the sort of like emotional it doesn't give them a lot of room but there also like literally isn't a lot of room for like tactical mistakes Mm -hmm. yeah and they need each other they have to be good to Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. because that's the thing that's going to get them through this yeah i think also like in the moments in the stick where like gavin and ryan are fighting like they have this kind of big fight um because Gavin hasn't really talked to Ryan in the days after Jeff and um, Griffin's deaths. And like that is the moment in which they are the most vulnerable. If they are not working together as a team, then they are like weak. Then they do not have the same chance of survival as like if they are partners. This is a fic about death and survival, but it's also a fic about hope, um, about the things that you carry with you, about um, feeling alone and then maybe realizing that you're not as much as you thought you were. Um, you know, it's a tough one in all the ways that a zombie AU can be tough, but it is, I think, very worthwhile and very poignant. My pick for this episode is called The We Small Hours by Chandri. It is a critical role campaign one fic. It doesn't really have a pairing, so... The canon pairings are all sort of implied in it, but it's largely a pretty gen fic. Um, It centers around Percy and Vax, and it's set about a year after most of the events of the finale. So some context for all of you. Um, The only warning that I have is major character death. There's death. 
Um, but the context that I wanted to provide is, um, for those not familiar, Critical Role is a Dungeons and Dragons live show. Um, I went a little bit more into um, the kind of details of the fandom in an earlier episode, so I will just tell you all that it is essentially improvisational live storytelling, and they did a campaign one, which started part of the way into a game that they were running at home and spans 115 episodes that are each approximately four hours long. So if you're like bored this weekend and you're looking for something to do, um, I like... So wait, what, what you, like 500 something hours 500 of content? 500 hours-ish. Yeah. Um, what a breeze. Worth every minute. Uh, wow, I really love campaign one. Um, I, I watched it and like listened to it over like a summer. Um right before I started like working full time. So I had a, I had a lot of time to kill and I got really emotionally invested, but um, the main characters of the story are Percy and Vax. The most important thing for you to know in order to understand this conversation we're about to have is that in the last episode of campaign one, episode 115, which is the finale and the epilogue, um, Vax dies. It is to make good on a deal that he made with the Raven Queen. Um, the The shadow of Vax's death falls on the entirety of the last 13 or so episodes of this campaign. Um, they all know that it's coming. They're all hoping to find a way out of it. But he had essentially made a deal saying, if you give me this power, then I will like give up my life. Um, so Percy survives. Vax is the only member of the group that dies. But in this fic, it takes place about a year after Vax's death, in which the veil is rather thin between the world of the living and the plane that the gods occupy, and Vax is able to cross and has a conversation with Percy. This fic takes place over one night. Um, most of it is just one conversation. It's about 7,000 words long. Um, I love it so much that I recorded myself reading it for like 45 minutes. So I did podfic this. If you're not familiar with podfic, it is banging. I love podfic. <laughs> um, it's like audiobooks, but fic. Um, highly recommend that you go check some out. Critical Role has some really great ones by a lot of different podfickers. So scope it out if you're interested. If you're listening to this, chances are you like audio form entertainment. So um, support pod figures. They don't receive enough comments. That's just my, my take on that. But I love this fic. I've read it a lot of times. Um, not only just recording it, but just because I love it. Um, so I was really excited to bring it. I think it embodies so much of what I love about major character death fic and what it can do when it really focuses on what it might look like to heal in your grief. Um, and I was really excited to hear what you guys thought about it. Um, I really, really loved this fic. When it comes to Critical Role, I have watched nearly all of Campaign 2 and nearly nothing from <laughs> Campaign 1. Um, I've been told a lot about it, though, from Nick and from some other friends. Um, we went to a live show um, that was a non-canonical epilogue, I guess. Um, I have watched, like, bits and pieces of it. Specifically, um, one memory that comes to mind is when Nick drove me home from something and then trapped me in her car right outside my apartment <laughs> building and uh, wouldn't let me leave until I watched like a 15 minute YouTube video that was Vax's death scene. <laughs> and knowing almost nothing about the characters, I still wept. Uh, it's very good. It says a lot about both of us as people, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so all that being said, I have some familiarity with the characters and I 
loosely knew what happened in the final episode, but, um, like, this is not a fandom, um, that I am super deep in, and I still, like, absolutely loved this fic. I, um, I said to Nick and Bren before we were recording that, um, the Vax's voice, like, the Vax of this fic, I thought was so compelling, and I was like, I don't know if this is the way that Vax, like, normally sounds, but I really loved his voice here, um, I think it is really um, a very strong choice to make most of the fic just dialogue. I think that's really difficult, mm-hmm. and I think the author did it really well. Um, I also thought it was really compelling, like, why why it was Vax and Percy. Because Vax and uh, Keyleth are, like, were in love. Vax has a twin sister. Um, arguably, if you were going to say Vax is visiting someone from beyond the grave, you'd probably think one of those two. Um and instead, the choice to make it Percy, I thought, was so smart um, and so well done. So yeah, I really liked this. This fic felt very critical role to me. Mm-hmm. Like, this didn't feel like a fic that could exist in any other fandom for any other characters. Um, and I think that that's really remarkable when you can find that. Um, like, it just, I think, makes a piece of fanfiction feels so special when it's so tailored to who these characters are and to what I think, like, the whole of campaign one, to a certain extent, like, means. Um, This fic, like, digs in a lot into, like, what it means to sort of, like, let go, but also, like, what value people can still have in your life. And I think it also digs into, like, the meaning of family, the meaning of friendship. All these things that are, like, very crucial, I think, to both campaign one, but also like specifically to Vax and Percy's storylines. Um, I think it made so much sense to me that it was Percy that Vax showed himself to, essentially. Um, I will say, like, I am sort of probably in between Nicole and Reed in my campaign one knowledge. I've seen a large portion of it, but I have not actually watched the whole ending. Um, although I've seen bits and pieces and I know what happens (laughs) um but it made a lot of sense to me that it was Percy that Vax like showed himself to um like Reed said maybe Kaleth or maybe Vax would seem like sort of more obvious choices but like I can kind of see how Percy might almost feel safe to Vax in a way where the other two don't. And not to say that it doesn't hurt emotionally to see Percy. Um, I think those two have like a very like intimate relationship in a different way than like Vax or this movie or Vex or Keyleth. Um, but just in that they I think it's slightly less fraught. Um, and I think it allows them to sort of have the space to have the conversation that they do in this fic. Um, I also just really love those two. Percy's, like, definitely my favorite of (laughs) campaign one. Um, so I will happily read Percy fic. Uh, but yeah, I just, like, I think everything about it felt so incredibly fitting to these characters, to that campaign, to, like, what it sort of said in the end. Um, and I just really appreciated, like, how well, I think the author, like, grasped what they were doing. So we've alluded a lot to 
the fact that the author makes a really smart choice in having Vax come back to see Percy. And I think um, something that's central to this fic is that we we know very early on in their conversation that Vax explicitly sought out Percy. He had the choice and he said, this is what I want to do. And they go back and forth for a little bit as they're trying to, um, you know, connect. And Vax is like proving that he's actually there and not a demon, um, <laughs> which, yikes. Um, but ultimately Vax says that Percy was the one that he was the most worried about um, out of all of them in terms of being able to move on, in terms of being able to sort of handle the grief. Um, Vax is a, a, a paladin, a servant of the Raven Queen, who in D&D lore is the deity of death. Um, I picked like the deathiest fic that I love <laughs> uh, for this episode, but... Um, the Raven Queen's kind of like moral or um, personality almost alignment in D&D in the 5th edition, which is what they play, is lawful neutral. So I think that really shapes the way death feels in the world of Critical Role, especially in Campaign 1, where she plays such a huge part. Um, and we see that really imparted onto Vax as well, who is having this conversation with Percy and saying like, yeah, I'm dead and that's a fact of the world and i'm more worried about you who's out here living and assigning all of these moral judgments to my death um these value judgments that don't necessarily exist um he realizes and percy admits that percy feels a massive amount of guilt over vax dying vax made the deal in the first place because percy kind of had made a error in judgment um there were a lot more reasons that went into it. There, ultimately, the choice was Vax's, but Percy carries that um, through everything, through the entire rest of the campaign and, according to this fic, beyond it. So when they're having that conversation, there's such – it's just such a beautiful moment of understanding where the two of them are really seeing each other and Percy is being called out on his shit like – no one really but Vax was doing um, in this very specific way, finding these parts of Percy that like feel very tender and raw and just bringing them right out into the light. Um, which also, you know, is lovely because they're having this conversation literally in the wee small hours of night where things can be more intimate and open and the walls can come down a little bit more. I just really love this fake, you guys. <laughs> I could just talk by myself probably for like 20 minutes. Something that I think is really interesting to think about with um, this theme that Nick has chosen and with this fic in particular is how death functions within D&D because um, there are a lot of mechanics built into the game to prevent characters from permanently dying um, because, you know, players get attached um, even as they continuously plunge into perilous situations. Um, so there's a lot of things that players try to do to, like, quote-unquote, cheat death um, it doesn't always work, um, as in the case of Vax, where he, you know, um, saved one person at the expense of himself. Um, oh, but it's so much more moving, though. Like, <laughs> also, like in some ways, he does cheat death. Like, yes, I was gonna say, he yeah, he very much does. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, it is interesting because he, it's also not like a bargain made where he immediately, it's not like a life for a life immediately type yeah. of a thing. Like, Vax gets to live. For a, a while, lot of borrowed time. Um, yeah, but I also... He kind of keeps earning... He, like, has, he like earns more. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I also think it's really interesting that it is built into the canon of D&D, or at least um, the world mm-hmm. in which uh, Critical Role is playing, that, like, there is not only an afterlife, but, like, there are all of these mechanics. Like, the fact that the Raven Queen even exists, like, mm-hmm. the fact that there are all of these things built into what happens to people when they pass on, um, I think makes for, like, a really interesting study in major character death. Because I don't want to say it makes the death less permanent because that's not true Keyleth still has to live yeah. I don't know what 800 years of her life it makes the separation less permanent mm-hmm. I think. it's just it's interesting that it's it's a space that fic authors get to play in um because there are all these sort of like not excuses but they have all of these ways mm-hmm. to sort of bring these characters back from the dead even for just a little bit and I think that's a really interesting mechanic that fic and fandom gets to play with and I think almost the opposite applies too it's almost like what you were saying with um the Marvel comics fix, where in the canon there are all of these fail-safes to the point where fic authors are like, okay, what if we took that away? Um, I see that sometimes too. But I agree. I think that there is something really interesting about saying as these fix do and as D&D does, that death isn't an ending. Death is going somewhere else and then being separated for a while, but knowing that someday you likely will be able to reunite with your loved ones, like immortality is almost worse in D&D mm-hmm. than death because that means the separation might be legitimately permanent forever. Um, and it, by the end of the campaign, the characters are powerful enough that they are traversing across planes like they are like, what's what's the hopscotch? Wow, <laughs> good analogy. Me, <laughs> I love when I can't remember halfway through. They're just they're just bopping around. They're hopscotching their way through the plains. Yeah, like like a nice Sunday stroll. Um, except instead of going from like your apartment to the park, you're going from the material plane to the astral plane <laughs> of the gods. And then to the park. And then to the park. Yeah, yeah. Back to the material plane, then you yeah. go to the park. It's really beautiful. Um, but not as beautiful as the astral plane that you gazed upon. Anyway, um they it, it becomes easy and at the same time there is something so separate because of the fact that Vax made this deal that has very specific terms where he he's not allowed to cheat anymore. He got so much extra time. There was so much more. At, at the end of the campaign, they're all trying to convince like a literal god, like, hey, can we can we keep him for longer? And she's like, no. <laughs> um, but it's it's so incredibly human that they tried. And yet it's also so incredibly human that when they lost him, they felt like they really lost him. And this fic really dives into the space of ghosts i think more than anything else where percy does get to talk to a vax that is beyond the veil um and it's only for one night and it's under very specific conditions but i don't know i just think it's really fascinating that there is this they they have this knowledge that vax is probably fine wherever he is he's just not with them and that's the thing that hurts more than the fact that he is quote unquote dead well like because of the nature of sort of, like, the campaign one storyline and, like, Vax's storyline, the moment at which, like, Vax makes the deal, the initial deal, the moment at which, like, kind of ostensibly Vax should die yeah. because he is taking Vex's place. Like, Vex died. Yeah. Like, Vex was not unconscious. No. Vex was not, like, stuck on another plane. Ooh. Vex was, like, dead. Dead Dead is a doornail. Dead is a doornail. And Vax is like, it should be me. Um, so if you're making that swip swap, you should, like, get extra time. But instead, 
he ends up with so much time and there's sort of this like prolonged goodbye with Vax and then it's like still not enough you know to the point where like we still have like people in fandom like still want this fic like you still want that like extra goodbye that extra check-in and like the canon kind of makes it possible you know um but I just think it's interesting because we were talking about sort of like grieving and healing and all these other things and I think the way that it it happens the way it plays out with Vax's storyline is so interesting because it's so unlike anything we have here in like our real lives. Um, even if you sort of know maybe someone's going to leave you and you have time to say goodbye, even if you sort of hope that maybe you'll find some like loophole or some cure or some fix it. Like, I think they all sort of hope that they'll find some way out for Vax. Like you still have to say goodbye. And I think it's really interesting that like, the can of it allows people to still play in a space where like you could have another conversation um and not just like an imagined one like a very real one and like we also like the afterlife is very much like a thing in D. so yeah like what you were saying like um immortality is almost worse because yeah. if you're mortal and you die you get to see the ones you loved again this actually reminds me of this conversation a lot about what we were talking about with reed's pick um, nope, Brenna's pick. Marvel, I just assume, is read only. <laughs> um, Surprise, baby. Yours. But this this idea that saving almost everyone doesn't really feel like enough to the heroes of the story. Mm. That in this in this version, all of them get to survive except for Vax, and they already knew those were the terms of the deal, and still, at the very end, they are just holding on to him. Like, this fic... But mostly the story of Critical Role really begs the question, like, how much time is enough time to mm-hmm. be together with the people that you love? It's never really enough. And, like, they saved the world. Yeah. They saved all of the planes. All of the world. They <laughs> saved every world completely. Ugh. I also think, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I very well might be. I will. Um, but I think it's particularly brutal. If I'm remembering the things that Nick has told me correctly... Um, one of the other characters, Scanlan, has a very, very powerful spell, um, called Wish, where you can mm, theoretically do almost anything if the DM and also the dice are kind to you. Um, and so Scanlan and the player, Sam, are sort of holding onto this, wondering if they can maybe use it to undo Vax's pact with the Raven Queen. And Sam talked to Matt, the DM, and said, like, can I do this? And didn't Matt say, like, depending mm-hmm. on the way that you sort of word it, depending Correct. on the way things go, like... It's not impossible. It's not impossible. It wouldn't have been impossible to save Vax. Yeah. And and instead, they're in this, like, final battle against, like, this world-ending evil. And Scanlan is like, I have something that might be able... Like, uh, Vecna, the thing they're fighting against, like, is going to get away. And, and Sam's like, I have something that could stop this like that could end the fight but i've been holding on to it and everyone's yeah. kind of like what are you waiting for like yes use it yeah and later scanlon's like i i wanted to use this to try to save vax and they try to get the raven queen to like wait a day because yeah. if they sleep he gets the spell back there's all these things the point of this is to say that like i find it so devastating that not only is it you know the character is so desperately hoping for a cure but like they were really close to one like they're there is a reality, there is a version in which Scanlan got to keep that spell and in which he could have undone, undid that pact and, like, they could have actually kept Vax. Yeah. And I just also think that's so brutal. Again, ties right back in with Brenna's fic, yeah. though. Like, there, there is a... 
there was at some point a universe where they all got to make it. Mm-hmm. It's just not this one. Yeah. Something I was thinking a little bit about is like, how, like how in all of the fix that we brought for this week, yeah, we chose things that after the person dies they're still somewhat present. Yeah. Um, whether it's in a sort of physical sense, like here, like Vax actually does come back to visit Percy or like in reads in a sort of like mental imagined space, but still a very like, still one that's very involved in the story. Yeah. Or like in my thick, the sort of implicit knowledge that this is just one of many, many potential like potential realities and also that Um, we keep existing in scenes with the characters before they've died just by nature of the format yeah they die and then you stay with them the whole Mm -hmm. rest of the story and like i just think that that's like we talked about sort of like the different ways like major character death that can go and i just thought it was interesting that we all sort of gravitated towards ones where like you get a little bit more time because isn't that like sort of what everyone wants like at the end of the day um and i just thought that was really interesting and like in our conversation about like healing how much of it is sort of coming to terms with the fact that like this this is your reality where you have experienced this loss yeah that there could have been other ones where things were different but that's Mm -hmm. not where you are Mm -hmm. i also thought it was really interesting the perspective that the Vax of this fic takes on his own death um, now that he's been in service to the Raven Queen for a year. Um, Earlier on in the fic, he tells Percy sort of, um, he wasn't able to visit anyone sooner than this even if he wanted to. Like, it took a while to sort of come back to himself and his memories and things like that. Um, But later, as Percy sort of blurts out all of his guilt that he's the reason that Vax is dead, um, Vax says to him, you want to know a secret that those immortal fuckers don't like to tell? They don't know either. The whole world, past, present, and future, is just a lot of turns they can't predict, at least not most of them. People are tricky. We're unpredictable. That's why they need us, and we need them. You fucked up, but people fuck up every day and it all works out. We all did one time or another. If it hadn't been the tomb, maybe it would have been something else. And maybe it wouldn't. Which I really liked because it was like, it sort of muses on the balance between you know, the humanity of people and the mistakes that they make, and now this sort of reflective view that Vax has. Um, But also, just to wrap up, or to tie into all of these conversations we've been having about alternate realities or possibilities, like, you know, if if Percy hadn't made that mistake, maybe Vax would still be alive, but maybe he still wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of the inevitability of Vax's death is not something to be mourned, or at least, like, not in Vax's Mm -hmm. opinion. And I just thought that was really nice. I think that, like, also goes back to the comment from Speranza that I read yeah. really mm-hmm. early on. That's like, it's all about where you start and stop the story. The Wee Small Hours is a fic about death, for sure. Um, it tells a story of what your world might look like if somebody that you loved and lost in some way... Um, we're able to come back and give you just one more piece of closure. Um, even though you probably know you're always going to be wanting just one more after that. Um, it muses on death. It muses on fate. It muses on the matter of factness of the way that we live and cope. Um, and I think that for me, it embodies so much of why I really appreciate when Fick chooses to explore avenues like this. (laughs) 
so this episode was my birthday episode. Um, thank you for joining, especially if you felt any level of trepidation about the theme. I hope that we were able to, um, if not convince you to explore a little bit more, um, at least give you some perspective on and like understanding of the way that um, I kind of perceive this tag. Um, so that's going to do it for our discussion of our fix this week. If you are not already subscribed to us on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, or if you don't follow our social media at FitClick on Twitter or fitclick.tumblr.com, uh, now is your chance. Great news, listener. Now's the time. <laughs> you have this moment right here. I'm going to give you like a second. You can pause it if you need more time. Go hit us up. Say hello. Uh, tell us like, wow. Nicole, that thing that you said in that episode is my favorite thing that any person has ever said. <laughs> or like, wow, you really suck and pissed me off when you talked about Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> that was a joke. No one would ever be mad at the way I talk about Shakespeare. Um, but please hit us up. We are still small. We're still growing. If you would like to leave us a review, that would be sick. If you have a friend who you think would be interested in the show, uh, we would love if you, you know, just like dropped our name in their DMs. Uh, it could be a great pickup line. <laughs> if you're like interested in someone, tell your crush about FitClick. If you get together because of FitClick, uh, you are legally obligated 100%. to tell us. Yeah. Um, and if you get married, we do demand invites to the wedding. I'll write a fic about you. Nick can officiate. Oh, I can. I'm ordained. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Invite us to your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, making love happen. It's the name of the game, baby. Speaking of love, our next episode is going to be on Valentine's Day. Yay! Woo! Um, so to celebrate love and romantic love, mm -hmm. we decided to do an episode that's only genfic. Hell yeah! Take that, love. <laughs> Ugh, love. Love. <laughs> um, no, but we just thought it'd be kind of fun to, like, use that as an opportunity to mix it up a little bit, like... We wanted to do an F on Genfic. I'm like, what better time? Am I right, ladies? Absolutely. So, Bren, what Genfic are you bringing for us next episode? Oh, let me tell ya. Okay, um, I read this fic, like, two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time, it absolutely blew my mind. I am, like, just... I cannot express how excited I am to talk about this fic. Wow. Okay, anyway, it's called The Interpreter. It's by Antistar E., and it is Snowpiercer fic. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't happy with what I had entirely for the podcast sort of side of things. Um, and we got some really amazing recs back from our listeners. So thank you to everyone who DM'd us. But thank you in particular to Emily who sent in this fic. Oh, it's so good, Emily! Thank you. <laughs> um, Reed, what's your pick? My pick is Wild by Unpretty. It's a Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild fic. Um, I read this, like, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, and I was like, Brenna, you have to read this because Brenna's played uh, Legend of Zelda, and I was thinking about this fic, and I was like, wow, I really love it, but I don't know if I can bring it to the pod. And then Nick got a Switch and is now a pro <laughs> gamer who has played three hours. I've beaten it. Oh, yep, beaten. I killed Ganon <laughs> with the big sword. I don't remember its name. <laughs> the Master Sword. The Master Sword. You I killed it. him. Um, now that Nick is a pro gamer, um, I figured I could bring this fic. In all seriousness, it's very, very short, but it is a fic that I just kept thinking about. I've reread it at least three times, I think, since I first found it, just because it is so lovely to return back to. Um, I'm very excited to talk about it. 
Um, and Nick, what is your pick for next episode? Yeah, my pick is called A Shot in the Dark by Tsukino Fairy. That seems right. It is a fic for MTV's hit show Teen Wolf. Um, which is the only way that I refer to that show. So look forward to next episode, everybody. <laughs> I was in Teen Wolf fandom for so long, and I have such fear about getting back. I, oh, get ready. Yeah. Big mood, Reed. I'm very excited. I've been wanting to bring a Teen Wolf fic, honestly. Like, I read some fic in that fandom that I really loved, and it's been a very long time. So revisiting it has been really fun. This fic is... Uh, it is Jen. It centers around Styles and his father, the sheriff, and I think it is a lot of fun. So I'm really excited to talk about this one. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, um, for joining us on this ride, um, for everyone who has commented, who has left us encouraging notes about the pod. Um, we greatly appreciate each you. and every one of you. Um, you are so dear to us, our ficklets. We love you. We're really excited about our next episode, and we hope you join us then as well. Bye! Bye.